our podcast. I want to thank Malcolm Gite once again for giving us permission to use his poems and his recordings in these episodes. Malcolm once said that he fell in love with poetry because of its power to awaken the mind and, as Coleridge said, to remove the film of familiarity. In Coleridge and Wordsworth's discussion on poetry, Coleridge said, Poetry is meant to awaken the mind's attention from the lethargy of custom and directing it to the loveliness and the wonders of the world before us, an inexhaustible treasure, but for which in consequence of the film of familiarity and selfish solicitude, we have eyes yet see not, ears that hear not, and hearts that neither feel nor understand. That we can go through life, whether it's lulled to sleep by distractions or blind by familiarity, without opening our minds and hearts to the wonders of God and his world. In poetry, according to Guide and Coleridge as well, is meant to help remove that film of familiarity and to awaken our minds and our hearts to the living God. Well, Malcolm's sonnets on the Lord's Prayer do just that. They help us to remove the film of familiarity that we have with the Lord's Prayer and give us new insights and new perspectives on the radical beauty of these words. Our poem today helps us do that by inviting us to think about the mysterious request to ask for relief from our trials from the one who has not given relief himself. This is the sixth in my series of seven sonnets on the Lord's Prayer, which will be published this June in my new book, Parable and Paradox. This is on the sixth petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or as it is sometimes uh, translated, do not bring us to the time of trial. Lead us not into temptation. O do not bring us to the time of trial. Deliver us, deliver us from evil. How is it that your own petitions fail as evil slams its hammer to the anvil? For you were brought to trial and not delivered. You let the prince of darkness do his worst. The sun shrank from that sight. The whole world shivered. The fount of blessing let himself be cursed. How is it? Is it that your dereliction makes possible the answer to my prayer? Am I delivered by your bitter passion as you face every evil for me there? Unanswered answerer, forsaken friend, bring me to my beginning through your end. One of the 
things that we struggle with sometimes is entering into the mysteries of the faith or allowing the questions of the faith to linger a little bit longer. We're too quick sometimes to move on to the answers. And answers are good, they're important, they're necessary, but answers need time to carry weight. Truth needs space to settle into our hearts. So when a friend shares a cancer diagnosis, let's say, the response isn't to quickly blurt out God loves you. The response is grief. It's crying, it's holding one another. It's sitting in silence together. It's laughing at the insignificance of things that seem so important only days and weeks and minutes ago. It's allowing the weight of the situation to sink in and slowly spending the rest of the time that you have together saying, I love you. God loves you. The answer in those two scenarios is the same, but the weight that that answer carries is completely different. Truth needs time and space to settle into our hearts. This poem doesn't actually propose any answers. Did you notice that? It frames traditional answers as questions. It says, is it that your dereliction makes possible the answer to my prayer? Am I delivered by your bitter passion as you face every trial for me? These are true answers. They're true statements. God's dereliction does make possible the answer to my prayer. His dereliction is the response to my trials in the deepest possible sense. Christ's passion does ultimately deliver us from every evil. The answers are true, but none of them are stated as answers. They're stated as questions because questions invite deeper reflection. They are inviting us to sit and think of Christ's dereliction, his forsakenness on our behalf. They invite us to ponder his bitter passion and all as a way to appreciate ever more deeply the salvation that he has brought about on our behalf. Ultimately, this poem is inviting us to ponder the great and mysterious love of the one whose prayers were unanswered, but who answers our prayers who lives to ever intercede on our behalf, the one who was forsaken by God, but makes us friends of God, the one whose end has brought about our beginning. It's not about the answers per se. It's about an invitation to wonder at the answers themselves, to pull back the film of familiarity and to stand in awe of who Jesus is. Listen to this poem one more time. And then I would invite you to stop and marvel at the unanswered answerer, the forsaken friend, one whose end brings about our beginning.
is the sixth in my series of seven sonnets on the Lord's Prayer, which will be published this June in my new book, Parable and Paradox. This is on the sixth petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or as it is sometimes uh, translated, do not bring us to the time of trial. Lead us not into temptation. Oh, do not bring us to the time of trial. Deliver us, deliver us from evil. How is it that your own petitions fail as evil slams its hammer to the anvil? For you were brought to trial and not delivered. You let the prince of darkness do his worst. The sun shrank from that sight. The whole world shivered. The fount of blessing let himself be cursed. How is it? Is it that your dereliction makes possible the answer to my prayer? Am I delivered by your bitter passion as you face every evil for me there? Unanswered answerer, forsaken friend, bring me to my beginning through your end.